Thank you, music team, for leading us in singing the praises of the Lord this morning and putting those tunes in our hearts for the week ahead as well. We appreciate that. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege of joining our hearts and our voices and singing your praise today. And now we join our hearts and our ears. And we quiet our hearts in your presence and we want to hear from you through your word. We need to hear what you have to say to us. Help us to see you clearly for who you are. Help us to hear what it is you want to say to all of us and to each of us. And we pray that you would shape us and change us and lead us and use us as a result of our time here together this morning. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two kinds of disappointment in life. The first is when we don't get what we want. Been there? The second kind is when we do. Have you been there? Uh, That can happen with a gift, for instance. You saw something, your friends had it, it was new, it was shiny, it was fantastic, it was the greatest and latest thing, and you had to have it. So you pointed to it, you dropped hints about it, you even came right out and asked for it over and over and over again, and then you didn't get it. Have you been there? That's one level of disappointment. But remember the time you did get it? And you opened it up and you were so excited and you pulled it out and you put the batteries in and you played with it for an hour. Then you realized it wasn't maybe all that fulfilling after all. And you moved on and you went back to your other favorite things. And you were disappointed that you'd wasted that kind of emotional energy on this particular thing. Two types of disappointment. When we don't get what we want and when we do. That can happen with a gift It can happen with a job, with a trip, with a relationship, with an event. It can happen with all kinds of things in life, can't it? When we place our hope in something and we wait for it, then it never comes, or when it does, it's less than what is promised. There are a lot of people in our community, some of them may be with us this morning, who have come out of this past Christmas season and feel a little bit of a letdown. They look back and they look at the whole Christmas season or a particular gift that they gave or received or a specific celebration and they say, I kind of hoped for more. It's a little empty. Something's missing. If you're here this morning and that's been your experience and that's what you're kind of feeling right now as we talk a bit about the past Christmas, I want to say to you this morning, straight up, tell you the truth, that is okay. And in fact, if you don't feel a little bit of that, you might have a very serious problem. Because we're far too easily satisfied sometimes. Christmas is incomplete on its own. Christmas isn't the answer to everything. Christmas is a part of a plan and a part of a process. But in and of itself, it, it's, it's incomplete. Churches around the world, ours included, spent over a month singing carols, lighting candles, building nativity scenes, reading scripture, hearing sermons, acting in plays, all that had to do with the first advent, the first arrival of Jesus 
And that's good. That's necessary. We need that. Where would we be if he had never come? We need to celebrate his first advent. And there are several passages of Scripture, several places in the Bible where we read details and promises and and fulfillment that all took place in his first arrival, his first advent. But there are so many more passages in Scripture. There is so much more attention given to his second advent, his second arrival, the return of Jesus. We don't know when Jesus will come. But we do know this, his return, his second arrival, his second advent is a lot closer now than it was this time last year. It's closer now than it was this time last week. It's closer now than it was this time yesterday. It's closer now than it was when you woke up this morning. You ever think about that? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Is it something? Are you building your hope and investing yourself in in something that's going to be empty and hollow and shallow? In something that if you get it, it's just going to be like, why was, what was the point? Or in something that just is never intended to satisfy? Or are you hoping, are you waiting for the return of Jesus? And you might be here this morning, you say, Steve, that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the return of Jesus. Well, let me ask a little more closely, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a specific list of details? Are you waiting for certain events to unfold? Or are you actually waiting for the return of Jesus? Is that what you're waiting for? We're going to ask that question a couple of times over these next number of weeks. What are you waiting for? And once you have that settled, then the second question goes like this. So, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Once you have the what you're waiting for determined, then what are you doing to actively wait for that to come to be? We're going to address these questions in this series we begin this morning. Advent 2.0, the return of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Join with me in Revelation chapter 1. And let's begin to look together at this book at the very end of your Bible that holds so much fascination and yet many people avoid. Let's look together and let's see what it is God might have for us as individuals, as families, and as a church family here in Harrow, in Essex County, in the winter 2020. Revelation chapter 1 begins this way. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep 
what is written in it. For the time is near. The time is near. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the title of the book. It simply comes from the first line of the book. It is not called the Revelations, a list of details to check off and put on charts and graphs, and woo, then we've got that information together. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It comes from Him, it comes through Him, and it is about Him. He will tell us here events that will take place. He will speak of some future events and give us some details of the future. But make no mistake, the focus of the book is Jesus, period. He is the focus of the book. John, the Apostle John, the disciple John, is the one that Jesus sent his messenger to, to deliver this word and then to, through John, deliver it to the churches in Asia in the first century. And through them to be passed down to us through the generations and centuries to follow. And John, we're told, bore witness to the Word of God as God Himself speaks to John in this book. To the Word of God as John reflects on, alludes to, and quotes Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah. He bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even as he had recorded faithfully the testimony of Jesus Christ in his own gospel bearing his name, John, that he wrote, and in his letters. And in the gospel of Matthew and in what Jesus is about to give him that he will reveal to us. John bore faithful witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus even to all that he saw all that he saw as he walked this earth, this earth for three years with Jesus face to face. All that he saw on the mountain as Jesus was revealed to him and transfigured before him. And all that he was about to see as Jesus unveiled things to him that no eye had seen before. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's from him, it's through him, and it's about him. He sent it to us through his faithful servant, John. And we're told here the time is near. English is a complicated language to learn. Our grammar is really strange compared to a lot of languages in the world. And we have a limited vocabulary. We use one word where other languages have so many words to describe the same thing. When you read there the time is near, that word time is not the Greek word chronos, chronology, He's not speaking about calendars and watches, clocks. It's kairos. It's era. It's time period. This era that he speaks of is near. This, this season is coming. And he warns us of this. He encourages us with it. And he says, blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. It is not enough to hear the book of Revelation if you're not going to respond to it. Just as with any other part of God's word, it is absolutely useless 
to read it or listen to it and then walk away and do nothing with it. The focus of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ. The point of the book of Revelation is to strengthen the church living in a difficult and hostile time and place. That's the point of the book. It's not to stir up debate and fights over details and determining who can be right and who can be even more right. (laughs) There are some dangers as we come to the book of Revelation together as a church. Some is that sometimes we're tempted to study the book of Revelation as we would an epistle like the book of Romans or Ephesians. As though it is written A, B, C, or one leads to two, and therefore three, and then you've got to get to four. That's not the type of writing that Revelation is. Revelation is full of symbols and pictures linked to past use by prophets, and some of it will be new and fresh. We have to be careful how we study the book of Revelation. Believers are often confused. Anybody? People are often confused and even intimidated by this book, and so they leave it alone. Some are scared by this book. They read and they say, this is scary to read of dragons and angels and beasts and storms and blood and battles and chaos. And they forget that this book is full of glory and triumph and justice and rescue. Some come to this book with a predetermined idea or system already firmly set in mind. And so we'll read it with that in mind. And we'll say that, that we'll see it this way or we'll see it my way because we've already determined what it's going to say to us instead of simply coming and allowing the Word of God to speak to us. Some will focus strictly on the future details of the end fascinating stuff interesting information and they'll miss the arresting presence that we're to see some of us will take it and try to tie it into the news every generation has done that tied into to, to today's news headlines who is this what is this what's going on and try to just connect it up and in so doing miss the fact that this is about jesus And how does this, how does he connect with my life, let alone my newspaper? Here at Harrow Baptist in winter 2020, we're going to focus on the focus of the book, Jesus Christ. The purpose of the book, strengthening the church, living in a difficult and hostile time. And in so doing, prayerfully, we will not miss the impact of the book. My challenge to you this morning is this. Read it. Take the book of Revelation and sit down this week and in one sitting, read through it. Read through it in one sitting like the original recipients would have read it. Walk through it. You can go back later and read it in some smaller bite-sized chunks. But read it in its scope and see what's there and you will see and hear themes surfacing and the point of it all may become more clear than if you zoom in on the trees and missed the forest and for those of you that say Steve there's 22 chapters here 
That's a lot of reading. You want me to read that all in one point, all in one time? Absolutely. Absolutely. We put the chapters and verses in. It came as a letter. They sat down and they read it. It will take you less time to read through the book of Revelation than it will to watch any of the Star Wars movies. (laughs) Any hockey game that's broadcast this week. Or to read a couple of chapters in your newest John Grisham novel. And this will benefit you so much more. Take the time. Sit down and read through the book of Revelation. We're given at the start of this book a little introduction. And now, now we get right into it. Are you ready? John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail, they'll mourn on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I want to encourage you this morning to focus your heart on Jesus. Focus your heart on Jesus. John says he's writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. These seven churches in Asia Minor in the first century. We'll become more familiar with them as we make our way through this book. They were living in a difficult time, in a difficult place. It was a stressful thing to be a follower of Jesus. Not everybody thought that was such a good idea. People thought it was rather offensive that you would claim that there is one God above all else. But look at all the gods that we have and serve and worship. To say, I will bow the knee to one and one only, and his name is Jesus the Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, our only Savior, and not whoever happens to sit on the throne in Rome. That was a dangerous thing. It was a difficult thing. It was a difficult thing to walk with Jesus and keep your eyes pure and your mind pure and your heart pure and unpolluted and unspotted from the world when so much of every kind of debauchery imaginable was just pounded at you all day, every day. And that was without the technology we enjoy today. It was a difficult time and place. And yet John is writing to them and his first words are grace to you and peace. Really? Here? Now? Yes. Yes. Right here. Right now. Grace and peace to you in this setting at this time. From Him who was and who is and who is to come. God, the Almighty. (laughs) From the One who was before any of this came. The One who will be long after it's done. The One who superintends it all. The One who's above it and over it. Who speaks it into existence and controls it all. From Him, grace and peace to you. In this little tiny place. At this little time. In your little world. And whatever you're facing. The God who oversees it all offers grace and peace. 
Does that bring a little hope? A little perspective to some things? From the Father, the one who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit before his throne. From his Holy Spirit himself. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the one who is, in fact, the ruler of kings on earth. His name is not Domitian. His name is not Putin or Trump or Trudeau either. His name is Jesus Christ, the anointed one. He is ruler of kings on earth. From him... Grace to you and peace. Don't worry about what the guy sitting on the throne in Rome has for you. Lift your eyes a little higher to the throne of the universe and see what he has for you. Grace and peace to you. And to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is about Jesus. Focus your heart on him. Look at him. He loved us. Us. He loved us. He gave himself for us. He freed us from our sins. Us. He made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God forever. To him be glory and dominion forever to no one else. So stand confidently before him, bow confidently before him, and don't worry about bowing to anyone else. No matter who they seem to think they are or what they have to say, look carefully and closely at Jesus. See him for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he will do. And give him glory. He is the one who is the ruler of kings on earth. He has dominion forever. Domitian, he's just here for a a heartbeat, a breath, and he's gone. And there'll be somebody to take his place, and then there'll be somebody else to take his place, and there'll be somebody else to take his place, but who rules over it all forever? (laughs) Lift your heart and your eyes to him. Focus your heart on Jesus. I am the Alpha and Omega, the A and the Z. The beginning and the end. I am the one who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty says the Lord God. I am eternal. I am almighty. No one else is. So do not be distracted, dismayed, derailed, or detoured by anything or anyone else around you. Focus on me, God says. Imagine living in a world ruled by a man who would intentionally and willfully and purposefully leave his brother to die by a man who would intentionally seduce his own niece, by a man who would kill people for making jokes about him, and then to be addressed at demand to be addressed as Lord and God. That was Domitian. That was the one on the throne of the Roman Empire, as John writes to us, as the churches in Asia Minor try to follow Jesus and live for him in that time and in that place. And God says, lift your eyes higher. I am the eternal one. I am the almighty. Don't be distracted or dismayed by him. And we look to Jesus and we say, behold, he is coming and every eye will see him and those who, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will mourn on account of him. He is coming. His name is Jesus. 
And when he comes the first time, you don't need to make room in a manger. Buckle up. Be ready. His name is Jesus. He is the Almighty, Eternal One. And He is coming. And we say, even so, Amen. And we read that and say, even so, what does that mean? Well, even though it's going to be rough, go ahead. No. Again, this is where English gets in our way. We trip over ourselves a little bit. This phrase, even so, will show up a couple times in this book. It's a translation of a Greek phrase that really means, uh, so it is to be. It's followed by the Hebrew word, amen, which means, so be it. (laughs) He uses this this term of both Greek and Hebrew. He brings them together and, and he repeats them here. These words of vigorous approval and affirmation and anticipation. He's pleading for the return of Jesus. Yes, he is coming. Please, now, come. He's pleading for the return of Jesus. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Or to put it the way that we, we like to talk, what is it for which you just can't wait? <laughs> what is it you're waiting for? So much of what we're waiting for will disappoint and leave us empty or distracted or divert our attention from what matters. Romans 5 tells us our hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint because it is rooted and anchored in the one true living God. Amen? John begins by saying, friends in these seven churches at this difficult time, grace and peace to you. Lift your hearts and focus them on Jesus. He continues on, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Can you imagine sitting in church one day, and you're reading this letter, and your name shows up? Jesus gave this to John for us. Do you think you sit up and listen? Wow. John says, I, I, your brother and partner, I'm with you. I live where you live. I follow the one you follow. I serve the one you serve. And I experience the trials you experience. I am your partner in what? In the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. We love the whole idea of Jesus' kingdom, don't we? Oh, Jesus on the throne, set up that kingdom, and let's go right now. That's what the disciples wanted. That's what we want, isn't it? Did you see the whole package? I am your brother and partner in the tribulation, and in the kingdom, And in what? The patient endurance that are in Jesus. And we'll we'll hear that phrase repeated. The patient endurance that are in Jesus. He says, I am in this with you. This is not a cakewalk. This is not skipping through a springtime meadow, this following Jesus in a hostile place. But we are in this together. 
and I'm right here with you, he says. John MacArthur sums it up this way. He says, John is the last surviving apostle. He's an old man. He's now in exile on the small barren island of Patmos located in the Aegean Sea southwest of Ephesus. The Roman authorities have banished him there because of his faithful preaching of the gospel and refusing to bow the knee to whoever would be on the throne of Rome. While on Patmos, John received a series of visions that laid out the future history of the world. When he was arrested, John was in Ephesus, ministering to the church there and in surrounding cities. And although he could no longer minister to those congregations in person, John received a divine command to address revelation to them. Those churches had begun to feel the effects of violent persecution. At least one man, probably a pastor, had already been martyred. We'll meet him in chapter 2. John himself had been exiled. But the storm of persecution was about to break in full fury upon the seven churches so dear to his heart. To those churches, the book of Revelation provided a message of hope. God is in control of all the events of human history. And even though evil often seems pervasive and wicked men all-powerful, their ultimate doom is certain. Christ will come in glory and He will judge and He will rule. He will rule. John is writing as their brother, as our brother. as a follower of Jesus. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was under the Spirit's control and supernaturally he has taken to places and shown things that we get to benefit from his writing as he records them for us. Ezekiel, Peter, and Paul had experienced similar things. But John has given these specifics. And he's writing to the, these churches, these seven churches, as we read this in verse 11. And Jesus himself says, I want you to deliver this to these churches. Each of these churches will have a specific word, a letter written to them as we get to chapter 2 and 3 but they will all receive them all. They will hear what Jesus has to say to all of his churches. They will hear the whole thing, each of them. Our process going through this series is not going to be to spend a full year in the book of Revelation. Well, we could. We're not going to. Mark Dever did a series for over a year in his church where he did an expository sermon, one sermon on each book of the Bible, one after another, 66 in a row. And in his message on the book of Revelation, he put some pegs to hang some things on, some, some main points that he pointed out. And I'm going to take those four points and I'm going to add to them and I'm going to use them to kind of shape our, our time together, our process in this series. This morning, we will look at Jesus himself in chapter 1. And then together, we are going to look at the throne in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the storm of God's judgment in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. And we're going to look at the city, the promised final city in the book of Revelation. And having looked at these things, with the focus of the book, Jesus, in mind. With the purpose of the book, strengthening the church in difficult times, in mind. We will then go back and together we will walk through the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. 
And we will ask ourselves, with all of this in mind, with all of this fresh before us, how do you think they read, heard, and responded to these letters? And how must we, even in our time today? That will be our process. And for this morning, we continue. Look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a, a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. John turned to see who is this speaking to me, this powerful voice. And he turns, and he sees these seven lampstands, and in the middle he sees none other than Jesus the Christ, Son of God, your Savior and mine. King of kings and Lord of lords, standing there speaking to him. And this is what he sees. He sees one like a, like a son of man, as we saw in Daniel chapter 7. One in a white robe with that gold sash of the priest around his chest, like we see in Leviticus chapter 16. He sees, he sees one with eyes. Burn like a flame of fire. John was living in a world, the people who read this at the first were living in a world full of idols. False gods, temples, idols everywhere. Statues everywhere you could turn. People would come and they would bow to them and they were offered gifts and offerings and sacrifices. They would do horrific things in, in their name before them. They would, tons of things were going on and people would come and they would look at these idols and they all had one thing in common, these idols. And that is this, you look at them, but they never look back at you. They are dead stone and wood. Jesus, the Christ, we look at him, and he is looking back, and he sees everything. John looks and he sees these eyes. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword which we are told is the Word of God. He will speak and it will be so. It will be so. John turns and he sees Jesus before him with his face shining like the sun. Do you think John had seen something like that before? I do. When he stood on the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw Jesus transfigured before him and he sees his face shining, John turns and this is what he sees. Jesus himself standing right there speaking to him. And what does John do? 
What does John do? It's good to see you again, Jesus. Jesus, I have some questions for you. Jesus, explain this to me because it's been difficult following you. I don't understand. Is that what John does? John falls on his face. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John sees Jesus, he falls at his feet as though dead. He collapses before him in fear. But Jesus has to steady his heart and his hands and his legs and his knees. He reaches down and touches him and says, don't fear. Look at who I am. Look at who I am. Is it possible, is it possible that in your days, in your weeks and months, in your years, even in your decades of following Jesus, that you have become so familiar with him, so familiar with the events we read about his life, so familiar with the words that he spoke to us, so familiar that the, with the book that he's given, that we stop taking him as seriously as we should, that we stop treating him with awe, and we start treating him with assumptions and familiarity. Not that long ago, we saw on the news, in New Zealand, a group of tourists who were touring a volcano. And what happened? It erupted, it did what volcanoes do. They were killed and hurt. And the questions have come in the investigation. The questions have come from governing authorities saying, whose bright idea was it to take a group of tourists and walk through a volcano? Does this make sense in anybody's world? But that's the world in which we live today. Oh, nothing will happen to me. Oh, I know there's all these avalanche warnings, but I can still ski there. I'll be fine. Really? That's how we live day to day. And if we're not careful and don't guard our hearts, that's how we even live when it comes to Jesus himself. And John begins this letter by telling his readers, focus your hearts on Jesus, even in this desperate situation you're in. And to do that, you need to lift your eyes and you need to see him for who he is and focus your eyes on Jesus. And take him seriously because of who he is. And John describes him and, and tells his reaction. And Jesus says, fear not. A go a me. I am. Very specific choice of words there to express the words, I am. It's not the first time John recorded those words from the mouth of Jesus. 
Seven times through his gospel, you will read those words, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is the same I am that Moses heard when he spoke to God at the burning bush and said, who's going to send me? And God says, you tell them I am sent you. I am the only self-existent one. I am. And Jesus looks at him and says, I am the first and the last. Jesus isn't a, a means to an end. Jesus is the end and the beginning and everything in between. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I am the living one. Look to me. Don't worry about Domitian. The clock's ticking on him. Don't worry about those idols. People are threatening to kill you if you don't bow before. Those are stones. I am the living one. A few years ago, in the United States, a college student, Muslim college student who had come from another nation, came to believe in Jesus Christ. One of his Muslim friends was shocked by this and asked him, why did you become a follower of Jesus? Here's what he said. It's simple, really. Imagine that you're walking down a road and you come to a fork in the road and there are two people there to follow as your guide along the way. One of them's dead and one of them's alive. Who are you going to follow? Jesus is the living one. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Hades is not hell. Hades is the Greek Sheol from Hebrew. It's the place of the dead. Jesus is saying, I control life and death. I decide life and death. I rule over both. And where was he? He was standing amidst the most, these seven golden lampstands. And what were those lampstands? They were the churches. The churches to whom Jesus was writing. And they say, we're to focus our hearts on Jesus because of who He is and because of what He's done and because of what He will do. But we're also to set our eyes on Jesus and remember where He is. He is right here amongst his people. And it looks so dark and so difficult right now. And Domitian is unleashing horrific things on followers of Jesus. And it's about to get worse. But guess what? Not only is Jesus on the throne, he's right here amongst his people. And he's got his messengers in his hand. And he's right here with us. And we can lift our eyes to him. And everything changes. Everything changes. We focus our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We focus our eyes on Him who was tempted as, as we were but was without sin. We focus our eyes on Him and as a result we cast off everything that gets in the way. Every sin, every distraction that slows us down. We get rid of it all and we focus our eyes on Him, Hebrews 12 says. My friends, this morning, here's what we need to take from Revelation 1. Look at Jesus. 
Not as you've heard of him, not as you've assumed him to be, not as you've become familiar with, but look again at Jesus, at who he is, at where he is, at what he's done and at what he will do. And not just for this book of Revelation, but for all time and eternity, he is to be the focus. And for all of our lives and all of our energy, he is to be the focus. Look again. Focus your heart. Focus your eyes on who He is, where He is, what He's done, and what He will do. He is Jesus the Christ. This is Jesus who will come again, the one who came the first time. This is Jesus, the one we wait for together. This is Jesus. See Him as He is and be overwhelmed as John was. Hear Him for what He says and say, Behold, He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail and mourn on account of him. Even so, amen, yes, please, come, Lord Jesus. What are you waiting for? You waiting for the return of Jesus? Is that what you're waiting for? Peter says, since all of these things are to be dissolved this way, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. What are you waiting for? Jesus? Amen. Well then, what are you waiting for? Be diligent. Be diligent. Looking to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Friends, let's focus our hearts on Jesus. Let's focus our eyes on Jesus. And as we do, let's let our hearts be strengthened here and now, in whatever we face today, and whatever we're going to be called on to walk through together this year, and whatever comes ultimately when He finally returns for us, let's focus our eyes on Jesus. Amen? The one who is with His people and holds them in His hand. And He says in John, the ones the Father gives me I hold in my hand, and no one and nothing can get them out. Is that you? Are you there? Are you his? Are you focused and waiting?